0: have for us. We want you to rebuild us. We want to have the life that you've created us for, that we might have that complete joy that you've intended for us. Father, as we step into this first, second, and third John and this extreme takeover of the heart, Father, I pray that our hearts would be willing and open and ready to receive all that you have We pray for your power, the power of your word to change us and for the work of your spirit to move in us. Pray that we be different for your glory. Father, hide me in the cleft of the rock. Please, burning coals, touch
1: my lips. I am unworthy, as you know. But you alone can make me worthy. Pray that you would
0: allow me to decrease that you might increase.
1: In Jesus' name, in the name of my Savior. Amen.
0: Well, the announcement was fit for a queen, was it not? Did many of you get to see it? The Extreme Makeover's famous black bus arrived at 9 08, Thursday, January 8th, at Marianne Rio West. Central Fresno home. And Ty Pennington, laying on the horn, jumped out, shouted for joy, and his scream was heard around the corner. (laughs) Interesting little facts about Extreme Makeover. They will receive 15,000 requests just this week. Each week, that's how many requests they receive. And only 26 homes are chosen in a season. However, um, two weeks ago, Marianne Riojas put Fresno on the map and she was chosen. She was considered a deserving person, a deserving home. She was recognized as a special individual. Some of you may have followed the story and you know that she was born without legs and only one fully developed arm. She was placed in foster care at a very early age, grew up in poverty and instability. After getting married and having four children, she was struggling and found herself on welfare. But despite her living conditions and her disabilities, she was determined to lead an independent life and to truly love her children. She got a driver's license, she was the first in her family to go to college, and became a national ambassador for Easter Seals, inspiring thousands of people around the country with disabilities to reach for success. In 2006, she became a homeowner while working for the Housing Authority, helping other struggling families find homes k put it well, her selfless contributions to help others has made her a hero in our community. And no one disputes that. But her part in being chosen was recognizing the inadequacy of her home. Somebody had to say, this isn't working. Her three-bedroom, one-bath house was not wheelchair accessible, was, um, was, was not user-friendly to her, and it led to many injuries for her. Her children were deeply concerned about her, especially as they're looking at leaving home, her older ones. How will their mom be able to get around without them? She could not even get into her own kitchen. Friends and neighbors agree, Mary was deserved to be chosen. So it was pretty exciting for Fresno to witness the extreme makeover and for us here studying extreme takeover. People asked me when we named the study last spring or last uh, fall did we know Extreme Makeover was coming to town? No, we didn't know, but God knew. And I love it. And so I became a news junkie. I don't get the Fresno Bee. I don't, don't pay attention, but man, I read it every day. I was gathering pictures and all kinds of information. I will not overwhelm you with all of it. And I even went down and took my daughter Emmeline, to the site. I got a badge. Because we had a, a gal in our church who was in charge of all the volunteers and caught eyes with her, and I really wasn't trying to get any back access passed. But she was so kind and sweet to my daughter and I, and so got, took us behind the barricades. Didn't get to go in the house, you know. Only God knows the interior of the heart, right? Didn't get to go see the house, but we got to stand in front of it. Got a little picture on my cell phone, which I can't find, or I'd show it to you. And um, so it was, it was very fun. It was very fun. And the, the events have allowed us to see so many, or me especially, I hope you have too, so many analogies to the building, the tearing down, and the rebuilding of the heart. And I, I pray the analogies I bring out today don't become so great that they walk out the door on their own legs, but that we can really apply these things to our lives as we look at what God desires in a takeover of the heart. Just as Mary was deserving we were we are undeserving of the takeover of our hearts by God. We are recognized as individuals special just as she was, but not because of what we've done, not because we've traveled around the country inspiring others, and not because we've helped people get into homes that couldn't, but because of who God is. That's what makes us special. The creator of the universe breathed life into us, formed us with his very hands out of love. That love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we talked about last semester was so great that it it gave birth to mankind. And it breathed its very life into it. And that's what makes us special. Genesis 2.7, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And in the second account of this in Genesis one thirty one, it says, it is very good. The only time God says very good is after he creates mankind. Very good. And even when Adam and Eve took from that apple, or whatever fruit it was, and sinned, God in his love continued to pursue them and make a way. Not because of what they had done, because they had sinned, but because of who he is. And we see in 1 John, what we will be looking at this semester, 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, his one and only beloved son, to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice, to be the exchange. This big propitiation word, my husband has a great way of describing it. He was just describing it to Olivia. It's a crisscross. It's an exchange. I get you and you get me. He takes on our sin. And we take on his righteousness because of what he did on the cross. It's not because we're deserving. It's because he is love. And he loved us first. None of us pursue him. He pursues us. In Je- Ephesians 1.4, it tells us, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad he chose me before the foundation of the world, because if He waited till I was born, uh-uh. Amen. <laughs> So our part in this takeover of the heart is recognizing our inadequacy. If you're here today and you think you're a pretty good person or you're good enough to earn God's love, you cannot have a takeover of the heart. Your heart can't be changed. We have to recognize, just as Marianne was willing to say, my house doesn't work for me, we have to be willing to say, our heart doesn't work for us. It doesn't work. See, Christianity is not a remodeling faith. The Lord Jesus was not given to us to just update us, to change our paint color, to make us look a little bit better on the outside, and yet we try to use it. We use some of the principles of Christianity, and we try to make ourselves a little bit better. We shine ourselves up. But Christianity is not that. Christianity is a takeover. It's a demolition team and a rebuild team. That's what Christianity is. Why? Because the heart is the dwelling place of the holy God. It is the dwelling place of his spirit. And it cannot dwell in a place that has not been cleaned out, demolished, and rebuilt. We have to recognize this and be willing to say this. We have to be willing to say that our heart is not equipped in of itself for the life God has in mind for us. The beautiful life that he has in mind for us because of our own sin. C.S. Lewis says, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. (laughs) This is such a crack up. I sinned in my dreams last night. Okay, do you guys do that? I, th- I can't even escape my sinful self when I dream. I literally gossiped about somebody, was confronted about it. I mean, I was so glad to wake up. And it was like, a was it a warning, Lord? I mean, and then the night before, I dreamt and I was horrible to my husband. I, I mean, what is this? We even cannot escape ourselves when we sleep. Amen? You're with me on this? Try. Try today for just 20 minutes not to think an evil thought about something or someone. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. It's just, unless you drug yourself, it's not going to (laughs) happen. And so we can testify to the truth of Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Now, most of us don't have to be convinced of this, but some of us do. Some of us do, because we think, because we're a little bit better than that person, or we've never murdered, or we've never stolen... But you know, if you've ever hated someone, you've killed them, according to Jesus. If you've ever lusted after someone you're not married to, you've committed adultery. If you've ever told a white lie or intended to deceive, you are a liar. doesn't matter how big or how small, none are righteous. No, not even one. The standard is too high. We cannot meet it. And because of this truth of our hearts, we have been injured, and we have injured others. Just as Mary Ann has been injured in her home. Our hearts, because of the way they are, unredeemed, we've been injured, and we've injured others. Yes? Until we recognize this, we will miss the life for which we were created. I love what Lloyd John Ogilvy, he had a friend who was trying to encourage him when he was just really down and lots of things going on that were discouraging and depressing and dealing with sin, and he said, Lloyd, I want your life to be as beautiful as it was in the mind of God when he first thought of you. Oh, that's the theme for this morning. I want your life, I want my life to be as beautiful as it was in the mind of God when he created me. We're missing it. All of us. None of us are done. There's so much more he has for us. So, after we're chosen, we're now challenged, aren't we? Marianne was challenged. She had to leave and let other people tear apart her home. She had to relinquish her home to the expertise and goodwill of others, not just people who knew what they were doing, but hoping they were gonna be kind about it, yes? The home was demolished on Saturday, January 10th, and 3,800 volunteers worked round the clock to get that home done in seven days. Some hammered nails, some simply observed. What a crack up. How many of you guys saw the guy on the roof across the street? What a kick. 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., he sat in a chair up there. I met him, smoking. Anyway, sat on a chair up there. (laughs) And he said he had seven rolls of film in, like, one day. And at one point he said there were 37 men on the roof at one time. So he's counting men on the roof. What a crack-up, what a crack-up that man was. So some were hammering nails, some were observing, some were taking rolls of film, and some were counting men on the roof. Neighbors came together excited for their deserving friend some neighbors who had never spoken to each other never met came together and formed relationships now they want to have an annual party block party but there was one unhappy neighbor anybody read about her I am not going to use her name in here but she talking to the Fresno Bee was so unhappy with the mess and the chaos and she was not going to be pacified by Extreme Makeover's prom, um, offer to put her in a hotel for a week. He, the, all the neighbors were offered a hotel for a week to get, so they wouldn't have to deal with the 24 hour day construction. But she wouldn't budge. But she was angry. And she says, The way I see it, the city is suspending ordinances that protect the neighborhood to accommodate a TV show. If they can do it once, they can do it again. She kind of has a point. But it was interesting what the Fresno Bee reporter reported telling, um, telling her that publicly complaining about a project involving thousands of volunteers that she risks coming off like the Grinch who stole Christmas. Undeterred, <laughs> <laughs> listen to what she said. I feel strongly about this. I have a spine. They may steamroll over me, but at least I can make them go over a bump. <laughs> when she was asked if she would watch the show when it was aired, bleepity bleep, no. <laughs> it's television. It's all about profit and money. So Mary had to relinquish her home, to the experts, to those who had goodwill, to the critics. And then she had to allow discoveries of her home, too. At the demolition site, trace amounts of asbestos were found, and the walls and the floors, and so an abatement team came in, and Park Environment tore out the internal plaster and removed the flooring. They had to do this before they demolished it so particles would not go in the air. And to get the job done in time, experts and city inspectors were there 24-7. They literally had people round the clock that were there all the time. Now, as we look at the demolish of the human heart, we don't just rest in the goodwill of a builder, no matter how kind, and the goodwill of neighbors. We get to rest in the expertise and total goodness of the creator of the universe, the creator of our heart, God. He knows our hearts, and he knows their need. In 1 John 2, 4-4, it says, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Jesus, his life, proved to us the goodwill and the expertise of God, that he was with the Father and was manifested to us. Paul, or John is saying, take joy. The one who knows your heart can be trusted with it. The one who knows your heart can be trusted with it. Go, it would be nice if we could leave and go skiing or go to the snow for a week while he takes over our heart. We've got to get to be a part of the process. But we can trust him. We can trust him. George MacDonald said, The secret of your own heart you can never know, but you can know him who knows its secrets. He knows your heart better than you know your own. And he has better plans for your heart and your life than you can ever imagine. Our rebuild is going to bring people together. Some will participate. Some will observe. Some will just kind of count the things we do wrong and the things we do right and take rolls of film. We're going to have all of it. We're going to have critics, people who who don't like what's happening. It was interesting that the volunteers for Extreme Makeover typically get 500 for a show. In Fresno, we had 3,800, and they turned people away. And I have to tell you, ladies, I have found this to be true spiritually in this community as well. If you sincerely want to take over of your heart, right now there's 200 sisters sitting around you ready to help, ready to pray for you, ready to love you, ready to encourage you. We have Christian radio. We have books. We we are so saturated. There is so much help. You can't go into a coffee house in Fresno without somebody doing a Bible study. You can't go into a restaurant without watching a family bow their heads and pray. It's not like that around around the country, believe me. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. And again, our rebuild will have its critics also. They simply don't understand what God is designing and why. And I know this has been true in my own life, and some of the hardest critics have been my own family. But ironically, when God takes over your heart, he enables you to love the critic, which then changes their heart almost all of the time. This hasn't been true 100% in my life, but it has been true in many, many cases. Some of the people who have hated me the most or been the most confused or scratched their head the most or picked on me the most, God has then, because of giving my heart over to him, enabled me to love them, and there has been a change. Not always, but usually. So isn't that ironic that our very critics are the ones that God will call us to love? Some of you here were critics of other believers and the change in their lives, but because of their constancy, because of their love for him, you're now here, ready to have critics of your own. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay. Discoveries of the heart, just as things were discovered in Marianne's house, things are going to be discovered in our hearts as we lay them bare. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us, First John 1.8. Once we are willing to lay our hearts bare, new discoveries will emerge. We think we're dealing with one thing, but if we really open it up to the Lord, he's going to take us deeper and deeper and deeper. And some of you know exactly what I mean. Father, I'm discontent. Will you show me? Clean out my heart. Oh, I have envy towards this person. Oh, I have unresolved unforgiveness. Oh, I have fear. Oh, I have lack of trust. And we find that the first thing we're confessing and we're asking him to clean out, if we're really honest, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And the top issues that we're dealing with, the sins that we're dealing with in our life, have deeper issues. God is so faithful he doesn't show it to us all at one time, does he? He lets us deal with pieces and then he shows us a little bit more and then he shows us a little bit more. How many of us would do the work if we were going to know all ahead of time? But he is faithful, just like those construction projects that keep leading to more and more. John Calvin says, The human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks. It is so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes itself. But as we lay our hearts open to the Lord, he will be faithful to reveal to us. But what do we do with the discoveries when we find out we do have asbestos? (laughs) We confess them honestly. We don't call them just something yucky in the wall, right? We call it what it is. My girls and I have been praying acts together, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so we start, when we do, do this, um, we don't do it every single morning, but several mornings, we'll start with praises, adoring God for just who he is, and then thanking him for things, and then or confessing our sin, and then thanking, and then praying for other or requests. Well, it's interesting when we get to confession, how tempting it is to say, uh, rudeness, unkindness, not as much patience as I should have. So I was wanting my girls and myself, I'm just as guilty, to call things what they are. I mean, let's just call them what they are. So we were driving and I told them, Father, I confess that I'm an idolater. My girls were like, whoa, you're an idolater, Mommy?
1: I thought you taught Bible study. Like,
0: so I'm trying to explain to them, it means putting anything before God. I mean, in your day, have you put things before the Lord? I have already this morning. So I'm an idolater. Call it what it is. Because if we don't confess it, it can't be cleansed. And I'm a gossip. (gasps) Mommy, you gossiped about somebody? I have envy in my heart. Let's call them what they are. Let's be real. Let's be honest so that God can do his work. The great thing is that 24-7 help is available. Just as those experts and inspectors are on site at Marianne's house, the Holy Spirit is here. Jesus who intercedes for you on behalf uh, the right hand of the Father is here, and your sisters are here 24-7 is help is here for you. So you don't have to worry that when you confess idolatry that you have to hang on to it for a couple hours till the inspector can get here. (laughs) It's done. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I love what D.L. Moody said. He says, God has cast our confessed sins into the depths of the sea, and he's even put a no-fishing sign over the spot. <laughs> Isn't that great? So chosen, challenged, and then changed. We're chosen, and then we're challenged, and then we're changed. Designing a home before leaving for that week in the snow, the Rio Haas I know I'm probably not saying her name right, I'm sorry, and her children met privately for a couple hours with the TV show and the DeYoung um, officials talking about specific changes. And details and functionality were the priority for this home, considering her special needs. Accessibility was the key. I love thinking about how God designs the heart. Just as the home is built with a family in mind, and you go into any, look at any blueprints for a house or go into any model home, and you'll notice that the living areas of a family are always in the center. The house is designed for a family to function well. When God designs our heart, when he rebuilds it, he designs it so that his Holy Spirit has total access. He wants his spirit to move within every area of that house. Bedroom, bathroom, living room, kitchen, whatever, garage, storage room. He wants him to have access. Easy access to every aspect of our hearts and total functionality. This, again, enables our hearts to experience the life that God had in mind when he created us. See, the Christians that John was writing to in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were suffering under some distortions of Christianity. They were, the gospel was being, being um, distorted for them, and they were teaching and believing things that weren't true. What they were beginning to believe was that you could have salvation by achieving high spiritual thought. If I can just assent to this high spiritual thinking, then I can be saved. They disconnected the mind from the body and therefore started treating the body as if it was evil. So everything was about the mind and thought, and everything about the body became evil. Well, this led to two extremes. The one extreme was that people were sinning like crazy because it didn't matter what you did with your body because they're separate. As long as my head is in the right place, as long as I believe the right thing, I'm okay, and I can do whatever I want. The other group was isolating themselves. They were pulling up stakes and saying, I'm not gonna get tainted by this ugly material world. I'm gonna go commit myself to thought, and to this high ascent of a spiritual truth, and I'm going to isolate myself, and so that's why John writes about truth and love and getting our hands dirty and walking in, and walking sinlessly, because that's what was happening in First, Second, and Third John, and that is happening in the church today. If we're honest, we're on one side or the other. We wrestle. Either we live however we want and say, well, I'm saved by grace, and I believe Jesus died on the cross, and I believe he paid for my sins, and I believe the tomb was empty, so really it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It doesn't matter how I live as long as I believe in my heart and my head the right thing. And then there are those that are so committed to these truths that they're no, they're no earthly good. They won't get their hands dirty. They won't love. They won't get messy in people's lives and really care for those who are hurting and poor and disabled and blind. And I think that is just so true today, and I'm so excited for the journey that we'll have. See, although these people would play in the dirt, sinning, they wouldn't get their hands dirty. And God is a God who has holy hands that are willing to get dirty, and that is what he wants for us. So John's purpose in writing was that their joy, these people's joy, would be complete and that they wouldn't sin. John 1.4 and 1.2, these are the purposes for which I'm writing, that your joy may be complete and that you would stop sinning. Because you know what? There's a connection. <laughs> There's absolutely a connection. And that joy being complete, again, is walking in truth and walking or walking in light and walking in love. He pleads with his readers to let the truths of light and love take root so that their joy would be complete. I love what John Piper says. He says, if we take our doctrines into our heart, where they belong, they can cause upheavals of emotion and sleepless nights. This is far better than toying with academic ideas that never touch life. And I think that's so true for the First John church. See, God is light. God is love. He is absolute truth, holiness, light. He walks in the light. There is no darkness in him. And he is love, total love. And he has called us to be the same. And if we take those truths of who he is, if we let the truth of First John, the fact that he is light and that he is love, take root into our hearts, we will become light and we will become love. That's the takeover. That's the takeover as we press these into our hearts. And then we will effect change in our world, living light and love. 1 John 1, 5 through 7, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, that whole sin thing, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us cleanses us love first john 3 16 through 18 we know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren oh if we could press into our heart what it means that he laid down his life for us but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him how does the love of god abide in him little children let us not love with word or with tongue but in deed and truth This last um i going to start crying and start telling the story. Um this last week, 2 weeks ago, we needed to go see a specialist for my daughter Aubrey. I have a daughter that's severely disabled for those of you that are new. Four children and my second. She's 16 and has cerebral palsy as well as mental disabilities and she has had something happen in the last couple of years where her back is beginning to hunch over and she had a growth spurt that's kind of given her a, basically a hunchback. And we knew it was not good. So we we had some doctor's appointments, and we took her down to San Diego and the a recommendation of um, Lori, thank you, and met with a the surgeon there, and we were given some pretty bad news. We had a good experience, but bad news, and she is going to need a very serious surgery, um, but the risk of not doing the surgery is that she will literally begin to compromise her breathing, and, and her, her lungs diaphragm will all become kind of compacted and crushed, but the risk of doing the surgery is paralysis,
1: Death, infection, there's a lot of risks. And so I asked the doctor the billion-dollar question that we should all ask our doctors. (laughs) She's your daughter, what do you do? He said, watching you interact with her, you have to do this surgery for her. And the reason that kills me is because those of you who have known me, I didn't love her. When she was first diagnosed, I rejected her, and I didn't think my heart could ever love her. I had so much prejudice about mental disabilities. And to have a doctor, somebody who's only met us for 30 seconds, see the love that I have for her, I know God is real. There's a Turkish proverb that says, the heart's testimony is stronger than a thousand witnesses. And that is the truth. He can and he will take over our hearts if we let him. And we will be different. And it's a good different. It's a freeing different. It's a wonderful different. I have so much further to go. There's so many rooms in that heart of mine that are yucky, yucky, yucky. We've been working
0: on the Aubrey thing. We've got other things to work on. And I am so excited about this journey that we get to take together. God desires that his spirit, accessibility to our hearts, translates into a light of a life of light and love. He doesn't want us to have to get to a situation and go, hmm, what would Jesus do? I don't mean to be critical of that, but he wants us to be so enveloped in his love and light and truth that we don't have to wonder. We just do it. My son, I think I shared this a little bit about this last semester, I'm going to wrap up with this, but my son is very generous. I don't know where he gets it because I am not. One of those things I confess all the time is selfishness. But he has a car that he just bought last year, and he literally just lets anyone drive it at any time. He's away at school at the Air Force Academy in Colorado. In fact, he came home for three weeks, and he just handed the keys to, like, the clerk and said, if anyone needs a car, here it is. And I remember saying to him not too long ago, you know what, Austin, that is such an example of God. Here are the keys. You are such a great example. And he goes, oh, Mom, don't say that. That convicts me. And I said, why does that convict you? He said, because I don't think I do it for God. He said, I've never thought, oh, God, I want to do this for you, So, or because I'm a Christian, I should do this. I said, honey, that's better. That's better. Remember what Jesus said to the sheep and the goats? And when he said, you, you fed me, you clothed me, you visited me in prison, and they said, when did we do that? And they said, whatever you did to the least of these. God wants us to so move in love that we do it without wondering if he thinks we should do it. But that just becomes who we are. Now, we can do it for wrong reasons, to look good, or, and that can all, all be in there. We, Austin and I talked about that. But if our reason is, is that we just don't hold on to things because this world isn't our home, well, then he is living it. Amen? Don't you want to live that? Don't you want to not have to ask yourself the question? God wants to take over our heart so we don't have to ask the question. I love what 1 John 2.27 says, As for you, the anointing with which you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you what you should do. Because it's in you. When he takes over the heart, you don't need someone to tell you what you should do. But, his, but as his anointing teaches you about all things. I want to conclude with A.W. Tozer's quote. The widest thing in the universe is not space. It is the potential capacity of the human heart. Being made in the image of God, it is capable of almost unlimited extensions in all directions. And one of the world's greatest tragedies is that we allow our hearts to shrink until there is no room in them for little besides ourselves. Well, no worries if we're not there today, right? we got lots of time, and he who began a good work in us will continue until the day of completion. Many of us are at different stages, and none of us are done. Oh, Lordy, look, at I'm dreaming sin. None of us are done. For some of us, the horn has blown, but we're still getting the sleep out of our eyes, you know? doo do, do, do. you have been chosen, <laughs> and you're just still going, really? <laughs> Many of us are in the demolishing stage, and things are taking a long time, and we're impatient, and we want it to be over. Could you just give me the good heart all oh, there? Have it ready to go, God. <laughs> but he's still got asbestos to, to remove. The rest of us are in the design stage. And this one never ends until we are glorified, seeing Jesus face to face in our eternal home. We're in that design stage. The new walls are in place. The paint has been chosen. And although it is unsettling and scary, we're already beginning to see the beauty of living a life of truth and love. We are beginning to experience the life he had in mind when he created us. But there's still so much more for us. The furniture hasn't gotten here yet. There's a lot left that God wants to do in our hearts. So we're all at different places. None of us are ready to say, move that bus. None of us are ready. So let's journey together, and let's have the takeover of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is truth and that it is power. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power to change us. Help us press the truth of it into our hearts so deeply that it really rocks our world. Because we know that in that we will have complete joy. We will have the beautiful life you intended for us when you created us. For your glory and for our good, we love you. Amen.
1: Thank you, Patty.